Hi, everybody, and thanks for joining our weekly podcast. I'm Robin Lewis, founder and CEO of The Robin Report, and along with our chief strategist, Shelley Cohan, also a professor at the Fashion Institute of Technology, we welcome you to today's conversation. So, Shelley, um, <laughs> as Yogi Berra once said, it's deja vu all over again, or as I say, what's old again is new again. And that is all about the once scared to death legacy retailers um, who got over their fear of e-commerce wiping them off the planet. And uh, as you know, they, they kind of slowly began realizing that, hey, we, we now have more distribution channels to push more stuff through to our consumers. And eventually, uh, the traditional wholesale brands selling to retailers also realized they had potential for greater growth in multi-distribution channels. That's so, right, Rob. And I, yeah. I remember back when all that was happening, we were we were saying that the online business is going to take all the business away from brick and mortar and brick and mortar is dead, but it actually didn't happen. And right now it's sitting, what, about 16% of total retail sales for online. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and we did our podcast a couple of years ago called Wholesale to Retail Dead Ma is Dead Man Walking. I think it's one of our most downloaded yes. podcasts. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> and we talked about the shift of the model uh, that has really been around since the dark ages. And you yeah. know, back in 2010, you know, Warby Parker hit the scene. They upended the entire eyewear industry by going yeah. to consumer. And then four years after that, Allbirds hit the market. Same kind of, you know, direct-to-consumer business model. And then mm -hmm. in 2017, that's when Nike announced it's what they called their consumer direct offense. Yep. And they made a bold decision at that time to cut out 50% of their current wholesale suppliers. So if you fast forward to 2023, you know, Nike among others, are figuring out that what's really the best kind of strategy is diversification and a flexible balance between wholesale and retail. So when one's doing well and the other one's not, you can kind of shift and go with the even flow of the business. Yeah, so yeah, for sure. This whole approach of, you know, today's unpredictable economic factors that we've actually been living since, you know, the pandemic for sure and these shifting consumer preferences that are very fast to change. Yeah, but that you know that's for sure, Shelley. I mean, and by the way, it takes me back to my earlier career uh career days which by the way was back in the dark ages. Uh, <laughs> when I was head of uh, business development for VF Corporation and during the 1980s um when they were strictly a wholesaler with brands such as Vanity Fair, Intimate Apparel, you might remember that brand. Oh, yeah. And of course, Lee and Wrangler Jeans. And later, you know, a slew of others that they acquired. Then going into the 90s, as they acquired the North Face, Vans, and others, they, along with other strictly wholesale brands, they figured out they could sell direct to consumer. Uh, they can cut out the middleman and make more money. So wholesalers started 
opening up their own branded stores. And when the 2000s hit, they were doing, by then, a healthy online business as well, as well as in their own stores. So both using both of those channels to sell direct to consumers. But here's the thing, Shelley, which, you know, you know, while margins were improving when the wholesalers finally sold direct to consumer, the operating expenses were higher and specifically customer acquisition costs. Oh, Robin, absolutely. In fact, if you look at what's happening right now, get this, the digital marketing expenses are 75% more costly today. Wow. So just think about trying to acquire a new customer and how expensive that is going to be today. And not to mention the amount of marketing that's being thrown at today's consumers, you know, versus 20 years ago, emails, texting, direct, et cetera. It's just like so much information is being thrown at consumers. It's like sensory overload for them. So all making the marketing effectiveness, well, less effective, right? Yeah. Customer acquisition cost has risen 60% in the past five years. Oh, boy. But that does not surprise me. I mean, it's incredible. There's, a, there's an avalanche of, of media outlets and distribution channels. It's unbelievable. And, you know, when, when these wholesalers finally started opening stores, what they found out is, well, that rent and payroll took a huge bite out of the margin, out yep. of the margin increase. Okay, so, you know, rising labor costs continue to negatively impact the profit and loss for retailers. But Shelley, when wholesalers began selling direct to consumer, they were rewarded with something major, customer data. Yeah. Right. Yeah. By selling direct, they are now, you know, they're now able to get loads of shopping behavior data. And that's tenfold if you if you have a loyalty program. So if you're a member in the old wholesale to retail model, going back 20 to 30 years, the retailers never shared much data with the vendors, if anything at all. And of course, today it's a whole new deal. And one of the major things I remember uh, witnessing when at VF Corp, um, the Wrangler brand was the number one seller at Walmart. And that's because Walmart shared its data during those early years. Interesting. And of course, Wrangler's business uh, just simply boomed. Wow, that's a really good point. I didn't know that that Walmart was that ahead of the game back then. That was smart. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, when we were at the LEAD Summit in New York in July, one resounding message was how collaborative technology companies and brands, wholesale, retail, are really actually now working together. It's like yep. the industry finally figured out working together and sharing data is a win-win for both sides. Yeah, you know, I remember way back when in, in the early 80s, the major consulting firms like McKinsey and so forth, said, in the future, you're not going to be competing against physical retailers. You're going to be competing with information and data, which I thought was very, uh, you know, I thought about that and I said, well, 
how far out is that? Well, it wasn't too far out, was it? Like 20 years, I think. Anyway, so brands um, are understanding that having both a robust uh, direct-to-consumer model, you know, alongside a wholesale business, it does help diversify and build uh, longer-term success. You know, our industry is anything but predictable, and mostly because of a lot of unknown external factors. You know, with environmental and economic uncertainties, which obviously impact consumer behavior. And it's it's critical um, because of this that the model be agile. And how often have you heard that word used in our podcast, Shelley? You know, we've been talking about agility ever since the pandemic. It's even increased. So, you know, the ebb and flow between wholesale and retail can really be a winning strategy if the balance is right. And the right balance is absolutely key. That's exactly right, Robin. And right now, there's many retailers that are actually pulling back. And we've heard, you know, all year long from big retail companies that they're expecting slower consumer demand. But what is interesting is when I look at the inventory levels in May, they were 6.7% higher than last year. And in April, they were up 7%. So as we come out of the first quarter, which is ending April, I don't have any more recent inventory numbers. We have more inventory coming out of April than we had in December. Wow. And we only have 1.5% less inventory than October, November, which obviously is the peak holiday season. So what I've been hearing and we've been seeing is retailers are really cutting back on some of those wholesale orders as they attempt to get inventory right size. So the retailers are trying to, you know, really get their inventory in the right place with the right assortments, the right SKUs. And we've heard this in a few earnings calls uh, for Q1. Absolutely. This whole inventory situation continues to be one of the major issues uh, in the entire industry. And, you know, um, Levi uh, just posted a 9% sales drop for the second quarter, mostly attributed to the wholesale side of the business, which dropped 22%. Wow. Yeah. So the Levi wholesale uh, represents uh, nearly 35% of its total business. On the other hand, uh, Levi's direct-to-consumer revenues rose 13% uh, with a 20% gain in e-commerce. So uh, this is not to put doom and gloom on Levi, but just showing how the shifting model and balance between, you know, direct-to-consumer and wholesale, how it can impact the business finding the right balance. And I will also remind everyone you know, as did Chip Berg, the CEO of Levi's, that the the company was up 23% a year ago. And he also said that the men's business still remains the number one denim brand in the U.S. and is twice as big as their nearest competitor. Um, And for the first time, the women's business is the market share leader in denim in the U.S., 
Well, Shelly, guess who was number one in women's denim all of these years? Lee Jeans. And of course, that was attributable to the fact that one simple thing their chief merchandising officer at Lee Company realized that for women's jeans, there should be a U-shaped crotch. And for men's, it was V-shaped. So Lee's women's business took off in the early 80s. And they dominated. They were, I don't know, if they were probably 30% larger than Levi during those years. Anyway, nevertheless, um, Levi is obviously a great example of really creating this balance between the two channels of commerce using a diversified model and having, you know, extreme agility. There it is again in its total business. Yeah, and I, I think Nike actually had a similar story. Um, and a, again, I think they're doing a really great job with kind of balancing out <clears throat> too, the direct-to-consumer and the wholesale. So if you look at uh, March through April, Nike Direct, so that's their direct-owned stores and their online, revenues were up 15%, 15%, So their stores were up 24%, and their online was up 14%, while wholesale was down 2%. Mm. So, and as yeah. a side note, as you mentioned earlier, I took a little peek at Nike's operating expenses, and they were up 10% primarily due to that direct uh, business that they have and wage expenses, increases in uh, labor. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nike, right. After six years of really de-emphasizing its wholesale business and reducing the number of retailers, this year they've announced that they will be expanding into some of those retail accounts again. So, Nike re-entered deals uh, with DSW and Macy's. So wholesale, wholesale is still about 58% of its total retail revenue. They also are creating new types of strategic partnerships where um, they're collaborating together on the business, not just a wholesale to retail business. They are sharing data, customer insights, and also connecting the loyalty programs to these deals, like Dick's Sporting Goods and uh, Zolando. Zolando, by the way, is a hot German online retailer of shoes, fashion and beauty uh, across Europe. Uh, this partnership uh, will allow Nike to further expand its women's products, and, and they are very strategic in the brand choice and elements of the partnership. In uh, Foot Locker's earnings call back in March, new chief executive Mary Dillon said that she spent a great deal of time with Nike revitalizing our partnership. And Shelley, I have to quickly point out here that I, I wrote an article on uh, Mary Dillon and what she's attempting to do with, uh, with Foot Locker. And I believe uh, she's going to hit a home run in her strategy uh, concepts. Well, she certainly knows a thing or two about strategic partnerships because she got the target deal done, right? Well, under her watch. Um, but well, yeah, with Ulta, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, when she was over at Ulta Beauty before she left to go to Foot Locker. Yep. So yep. This new model for wholesale and retail has to include this 
collaborative effort between both companies collecting data, sharing insights, connecting loyalty programs, which really helps both create more personalized marketing, better experiences, and gain even more insights and feedback on product assortment in near real time. Localized merchandising can be you know, much stronger if we can share these insights. Yep. Um, and we saw this a couple of years ago with what I think is one of the most relevant strategic partnerships. And that's the one we just mentioned between yep. Target and Ulta Beauty, where they connected their loyalty programs. It's the first time in a major way we've seen that happen. And guess who's winning in that deal? Both. Both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's win-win. And Shelly, uh, there's also uh, the Sephora Coles partnership. Now, we'll see how that works out. I know Coles is going through uh, a real tough time. Uh, anyway, and both they and the Ulta matchup does indicate the beginning of another model, which is sharing on the retailer's platform and managing the brand with its own operators. At the end of the day, uh, direct-to-consumer brands that thought they could run the business without retailers are finding out that having stores and retail partners is actually the only way to successfully scale the business. Yeah. Yeah. Wholesalers and retailers are figuring out that a diversified strategy is uh, the only way to move forward especially coming out of the uh, pandemic. And new deals between wholesale and retail have to really be strategic partnerships, collaborative in nature and comprehensive shared vision and uh, goals. So, and everybody gets uh, multiple distribution channels, which as I have said before, this really is the distribution century. That's right. I think you wrote about that 10 years ago, that this would be the di distribution century, right? Yeah. <laughs> and actually, it's a it's a good uh, thing that sharing data has become so commonplace today, because with all these new regulations and privacy restrictions, the vendors and retailers have no choice but to work together. Otherwise, no one's going to be winning. Yep. For uh, yeah. For our listeners, you can find more of our podcasts on Apple, Spotify, Buzzsprout, and therobinreport.com. And please follow us on social media, link in with us for the latest thoughts about the industry. And I want to thank everybody again for joining us. Um, again, I hope we have, you know, given you a lot of good information that you can use. And by the way, if any of you have a topic that you would like Shelly and I to cover, please uh, send me an email uh, to robin at therobinreport.com. And thank you all again.